the most opposition money spent in the in the Arizona race for legalization yep. was the company that owns fentanyl. The green rush is real. From lawmakers and investment bankers to CEOs and investors, we'll look at how people are transforming cannabis from the shadows of the black market into a cash crop that draws in cannapreneurs from Hollywood to Wall Street. Here to help you navigate the business of cannabis, please welcome Lewis Goldberg and Ann Donahoe. Brought to you by KCSA Strategic Communications. I'm Lewis Goldberg, and along with Ann Donahoe, today we're chatting with William Simpson, the CEO of Golden Leaf Holdings. Golden Leaf is one of the largest cannabis oil and solution providers in North America, and is most importantly, the leading cannabis company in Oregon. And William is a native Oregonian. With uh, a product portfolio around recognized brands such as Chalice Farms, Golden, Proper, and Left Coast Connection, Golden Leaf, if you don't know what it is, you are missing out. It is one of the coolest cannabis companies in the country. Based in Portland, Oregon, Golden Leaf is vertically integrated. It grows the plant. It extracts from the plant. It makes amazing edibles and has some of the best dispensaries I've ever been in in the country. Um, So... With that, oh, and by the way, a public company. So we will give you the ticker symbol um, later in the company or later in the show. And full disclosure, William is both a friend and a client of KCSAs. So uh, welcome. We're really excited. We've been waiting to talk to you now for a couple of weeks. um, And I don't think it could be a better time to talk to you um, because, Anne, you sent around some data this morning that I think we should talk about before we bring William in. I think it was really interesting that Gallup this week and uh, William, I'm not sure you saw, put out uh, a new poll that showed that 64% uh, of Americans, of adults now, uh, are in favor of legal cannabis. And for the first time ever, Republicans uh, are now in favor of it. 51% of them up from 42% from just last year. Um, So it seems like a really big jump in public perception. So my question is, is this people catching up or is the number actually much higher or what is, how accurate do you think that number is? So, well, thank you for having me on the show, first of all. And um, I I think that number is still low. I, I think a lot of people are just still afraid to say, yes, I'm okay with cannabis. Um, I think they're afraid to say it, but they're not afraid to play with it. Right. Well, they've been using it in the closet, so to speak forever. I mean, I have friends that are, you know, high, uh, you know, I don't want to start naming titles, but judges, (laughs) doctors, lawyers, you name it. And, you know, they're influential people within their communities. Um, you know, it's okay to of course have scotch with your friends, but not cannabis. Now that's changing. So, I'm starting to see people talking about it and, you know, still with that little bit of hesitancy, like wanting to understand the people around them are going to how they're going to react when they bring it up. But people are a lot more open to that topic now. And I think that is just starting to show up in all these polls. I think Mm -hmm. we're going to see a super, super majority, I guess, I mean, 64%, we already had a super majority um, of people in approval of cannabis. But I think people are also seeing that the sky's not falling. You know, legal cannabis has now been in Colorado almost, what, five years. Um, you know, you're seeing things like opioid addiction going down. You're not seeing an excessive amount of other issues. Well, it's Um, amazing, right? The president yesterday declared a national emergency and yesterday being, um, October 26th. So I don't know when you're listening to this, but the the president declared, declared a national emergency about opioid addiction. And on the same day, Jeff Sessions comes out and says, Hey, 
it's because of cannabis. And he called it marijuana. It's because of marijuana. Let's go back to the 80s and to Nancy and Ronald Reagan and just say no. That, that doesn't that's never worked. It's super ignorant. I mean, if you want to call anything a gateway drug, it's absolutely alcohol. I mean, you name, you ask any one of your peers, friends, family, myself, the first buzz, so to speak, I got in life was alcohol. Um, did that make me want to go try other drugs? No. I mean, it's, you know, it comes down to, I think, education, parenting. You know, it's like cannabis is going to be used. And I mean, frankly, I would much rather see people using cannabis than drinking alcohol for the most part. I mean, every bad decision I made as a young person in life was under the influence of alcohol. It wasn't cannabis. I mean, the times I used Is that cannabis, what got you into MMA? What got me into MMA? Yeah. I mean, was that drinking? No. Was it the first time you wanted to, that you decided that you actually liked getting hit? <laughs> no, but I will tell you, alcohol uh, definitely influenced the decision to get into a physical altercation at a much higher rate <laughs> than without it. Um, but no, you know, my... I, Speaking of that, my dad actually got me into it when I was uh, four years old. I remember he dropped me off. We're talking a, about MMA and not marijuana, right? Or, right. or alcohol. <laughs> okay. Right. Yes, my MMA. dad dropped me off at the bar at four. He said, <laughs> exactly. oh, here's a you have fun. Exactly. Right. No, so let's back up a little bit. Mixed martial arts. Mixed got martial it. arts. But he, so he dropped me off at a dojo when I was four years old. It was in Hawaii. I remember bawling my eyes out. I did not want to go. And um, I remember just absolutely despising it for the first, you know, year probably in my life because it was a pretty brutal studio. I mean, looking back, knowing how young, now that I have an eight-year-old, looking back when someone's four years old, uh, I mean, it, this was a dojo where your stance wasn't low enough. The sensei would smack the top of your leg with a bamboo stick. And I'm not talking like a little love tap. I mean, he'd hit you. You were right. upset. So you stayed in that stance. Um, and, and, you know, that of course just evolved and I was starting to compete uh, at the age of five and bleeding for trophies. And that just kept going the rest of my life into my uh, young adulthood where I decided I was a little too old and too busy, frankly, in life to, working uh, to keep that up. But uh, So was there what, a point I, where you had to self-medicate to deal with pain? Yes. So it, well, it wasn't, well, it was self and not really self-medicated. It was doctor induced. I mean, I, I went to, you know, doctors for all kinds of injuries over time and, you know, they slowly start, well, hey, here's a Vicodin prescription. Oh, here's some Flexerol. You know, oh, here's your muscles are sore. You need to take this more. And, oh, you have anxiety because you're in pain. Take some benzodiazepines. I mean, they just, they start handing them out like Tic Tacs because we had real injuries and we're, you know, very messed up because you're smashing your body. And, you know, I also played football and wrestled. So my body, I was not good to myself. I mean, looking back, I probably could have been a little better on myself, my body. But so my doctors had me eating handfuls of, you know, painkillers and muscle relaxers. By the time I was in my early 20s, I mean, I was taking, you know, on an average day, probably 20 or 30 different pills. Um, and and, and you couldn't get, there was not me access to medical cannabis or even, or no, and, adult use. And I, no. And I, frankly, I didn't look at it like medicine. I mean, the truth is I, I had smoked it a couple times in my life. It really wasn't my thing. I, I, you know, I had a couple entertaining times, had a couple times where I got too anxiety and just didn't enjoy it. So it really wasn't my thing. And so, um, basically one of my really good buddies said, you know, that stuff you're taking is going to kill you. And so this uh, was your buddy saying that no doctor was literally no doctor. saying to you, Hey, you know what? Let's ease up on this and maybe wean you off. Right. No, no, no. They just kept as much as I wanted them. I mean, they started giving me <laughs> Magnum bottles. Like, I mean, <laughs> oh my God, oh my God. Right? it's like, Oh, now you need 50 or 60. Okay, fine. Oh, now that's not enough. Now you need a hundred. Okay. That's fine. I mean, 
you know, because I was a young, healthy person, my, you know, my, my, my cholesterol levels, everything are fine. So that's just what they're taught to do, I believe. And so, you know, but I had a good friend again, he, he said, you're going to kill yourself. You need to try something else. You need to try cannabis. And, you know, back then he called it marijuana, but, uh, you know, he, uh, and no I was way. like, he yeah, called it pot weed. Or I know else. exactly. Exactly. We're trying to change the, the language to the scientifically proper identification, but he, right. so he forced me basically, he, he put it through my stubborn head that I'm going to try it. And they made me these special little chocolate chip cookies. And I ate a quarter of one at night before I went to bed. And of course, who doesn't want to eat a chocolate chip cookie at night before they go <laughs> to bed anyway? I mean, it's a great little excuse. Oh, great. I'm going to medicate and eat some chocolate chip cookies. Right. And it, it, it helped. I mean, to the point where I, I still can't believe it looking back. I mean, I was able to wean myself off in about three weeks. I, I started lowering my dose of pills and started just keeping on the, the edible. And I increased it. I want to say it's a long time ago now. I'm almost 40. Um, I... I want to say I was almost eating a whole cookie by the third week. Like I, how I had many, to how many milligrams do you think that was? I have no clue because there was no <laughs> way to do it. He would just pour some into some butter. He'd simmer it down. He'd make the batch of cookies and it was a mystery cookie. And did so, you let your doctors know that this is the self-medication that you no, this, this no, is a form of medication? I was, I was, it was technically illegal, right? I didn't, right. I didn't have a card or anything at that point. So I didn't want to bring it up with anyone. I was worried that I'd be in trouble. Right. And so based around that, I, I went, you know, I went, I'm just going to, I'm going to go get my medical card. Like, how hard is that? And I had all these records and I called the clinic and they said, send me your records. And I did. And they called me back and said, come on down. And I did and met the doctor and they signed me away. And it was, you know, a three hour process. And I was out the door and I had a, medical marijuana card to be able to legally use it as a patient. And, and you were, you were a semi-pro athlete, right? I mean, what just came out. I, you know, earlier, I, I, don't, just, I, I guess so. I mean, I got paid to do underground fights. So I guess you'd call that semi-pro. I was not <laughs> in like the UFC. Um, I did a lot of like underground brawls. Um, well, I mean, the reason why I ask is David Stern, the former commissioner of the NBA came out um, just recently and said that it's ridiculous that, that NBA athletes and, and pretty much any athlete can't use um, cannabis for me- medicinal purposes, especially in the states where it's legal. So, and there are teams in in Seattle, there are teams in in Portland, and in, in all over in California. You've got teams, you know, in Massachusetts. Even though I hate the Celtics, um, uh, you know, at pretty much. You know, most of the states that have NBA teams now have access to you know medicinal cannabis. Isn't it ridiculous? Um, well, this is a leading question, but isn't it ridiculous that 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 the professional sports leagues aren't in line with 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 the 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 legality of the situation is in the states that they're playing in? Absolutely. I mean, you're talking about a much healthier alternative. I mean, I have friends that instead of getting cortisone injections, are now just using a topical cannabis cream. And, and wow. who's to say that is that that's horrible, right? I mean, oh God, God forbid you're going to put a cream on your knee and you don't have to go get a steroid shot instead. But technically, by a lot of those rules in these you know associations or or NBA or NFL, it's illegal, right? I mean, you yep. cannot use cannabis. So it's 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 absurd, frankly. And I, I'm hoping that changes because. Again, now you have the same issue, especially in fighting. Well, and I know NFL a lot and NBA probably the same, but they, they have a lot of opioid addictions, right? I mean, I know plenty Actually, of- Actually, William, people. hold on a second. We got to take a quick break. 
Um, but we'll be right back with more from William Simpson on the Green Rush. More Green Rush coming up after we roll through our sponsors. Are you disturbed by the prescription medication commercials on television and their endless list of side effects? They go on and on and you end up having to take multiple pills to counteract the problems caused by the first pill. It never ends. Have you looked into CBD as a more natural option? At Saturn Ranch, we produce all-natural CBD topicals and THC-infused edibles. Premium lab-tested hemp-derived CBD is the most important ingredient in our products. From topical bombs, salt scrubs, bath-soaking salts to tinctures and edibles, you're sure to find something to help. Family-owned and operated, we at Saturn Ranch believe in and use our products daily. Don't put anything on your body that you wouldn't put in your body. SaturnRanch.com Strainwise Consulting is the most sought-after consulting company for cannabis business applications and management contracts. We consulted on the first recreational license in the world and have had an over 95% success rate on applications submitted. The industry is growing at such an exponential rate that building a powerful and lasting cannabis business is a number one priority. Here's Strainwise's Sean Eubanks. In our first five years, we branded and supported nine medical and recreational marijuana dispensaries and approximately 160,000 square feet of sophisticated and efficient product cultivation. Strainwise Consulting has the experience and expertise to guide you through the process. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be. The Vuber way. Banking and Bud, understanding the business of cannabis. Welcome back to The Green Rush, only on CannabisRadio.com. Uh, we're back with William uh, Simpson from, Ch- uh, I was going to say Chalice Farms. You technically are still Chalice Farms, but now it's under the umbrella of Golden Leaf Holdings, which is a public company. Um, and we were actually just talking about um, some of the the rules and regulations when it comes to professional athletes. Um, and David Stern came out uh, recently and said, I think there's a universal agreement that marijuana for medical purpose- purposes should be completely legal. Um and as a, a former semi-pro athlete, you are in full agreement of that. Oh, absolutely. I, I just know I, I, too many people now that have been able to use cannabis effectively instead of things that are damaging their bodies like the opioids and that are highly addictive and um, you know the, the anxietal medicines, the benzodiazepines and the, the muscle relaxers. There's just a whole menu of drugs that these athletes are just handed all day, every day. Uh, I think that the reason the why the, the the owners are so um, reticent to change is is twofold. One, um, they are all hardcore, super rich Republicans, um, and they are also really afraid of of Jeff Sessions right now. Um, as the CEO of a public company, um, knowing that the attorney general is so you know, virulently opposed to um, the cannabis industry. How nervous are you on a day in and day out basis that the feds are going to come in and raid you or that you're going to get shut down? I mean, how does this play into your day out, day, day in and day out, day, 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 day? Yeah. You know, when I started in the industry over a decade ago, I worried about it a lot, all the time. Um, it's, it was hard not to, right? Um, and then I think like anything, 
you build somewhat of a callus to it. Um, you know, I'm just used to being in and around it. And now, yes, he's definitely on a war path. And I mean, I invite Jeff Sessions to go in and use the, the power of the DEA and the DOJ to go after the guys that are not following the rules. You know, you have these intricate regulatory processes that the states have put into place. And there are a lot of really good actors that are working hard to put compliance first and make sure that traceability is there and there is no diversion into the black market, which is a really good thing for states, for the economy, the monetary values. I mean, you you have to be able to look at those things. There are definitely people that are in or not in the system, and the one there are the ones that are in the system abusing it. You know, go after those people. Absolutely. You know, make examples of those people because they are hurting the, the possible, you know, national legal uh, system of, of legal cannabis. You, know, well, you, have you mentioned something are, interesting about the black market because, you know, you guys have the black market has so long dominated the way that that the product is sold and marketed um, that when you walk it, when you're in Portland and you get to visit the dispensaries there, it is so such a different experience than going into an old school head shop. You know, I, I know I've right. been to your to Chalice. So how did you come up with the retail experience and and what's wrong with the way that other dispensaries and I'm not asking you to slam anybody, but you guys get it right. right. I mean, it's a much better experience. Yeah. So, you know, I've go, being a medical patient myself before I was in the business of having recreational stores and or medical stores, you know, I was going into dispensaries and the thing that always bugged me was it was a almost criminal feel. Like it was, it was a uh, sterile at best or dark shady behind a thick glass. Like, what am I doing in here? I mean, should I even be in here? And so I thought, you know, th to change the perception and to get rid of any stigma, it has to be different than this. It has to look, it has to feel different. So I started thinking about just what, you know, me and my peers in life, what do we enjoy? Mm -hmm. Like what environment would you want to be able to go into and feel comfortable, frankly, like first and foremost, like people are coming in, in the medical side when we started talking about some, you know, embarrassing issues like IBS and, you know, chronic pain and, or, you know, <laughs> erectile dysfunction, things that aren't that comfortable. This is about. all so the stuff that you talk about with your friends. No, that the patients were coming into dispensaries to talk about I'm to sorry, get medicine I for. And I misheard you. I thought <laughs> right. you said, I'm sitting around yeah, with my yeah. guys and we're talking about, you know, IBS, which there's nothing yeah. wrong with oh. that. No, it's a great topic to, to bring up with your buddies. <laughs> no. yeah. I took the best movement yet. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> no, but, there's a lady but, on deck here. Yep. Sorry. But <laughs> no, but people were coming into this environment. They're already uncomfortable. Right. And then they come into a more uncomfortable feel, uh, scenario or environment. And so I thought, you know, why don't we change the face of this? It'll change perception person by person. It'll make the patients feel comfortable when they come in and they'll Can actually let describe their describe what down. a chalice uh, store looks like? Because yeah, so, it, I mean, if the, you haven't been feeling, in one, it's really unique. The feeling we're after was, you know, I've always loved the feeling of, Walking in, like, you know, think of uh, you get off the, the mountain after skiing or snowboarding, you walk into a fire lit log cabin. I mean, it's just that warm, inviting, such a great feeling. Like, it's hard to not be comfortable in that setting, right? And so I've always thought, let's create that with the actual color temperatures of the lighting, the wood feels, the smells. 
let's create an environment that it is impossible to feel uncomfortable. And so we, we bought entire burl trees. We milled them from scratch. We designed the furniture ourselves and made it a social sales floor with rough sawn cedar on the walls, on the exteriors. I even went and, and picked out the color insets of every can light. It's a special uh, seagrass, or it's a seagrass wall, and, and uh, it's a it's a golden grass, wheat grass for the inset, which makes a warmer light cast. It's not a and this is in every light. store, right? Every every, store. every so, and you have five or six now. We have five with three under construction, and we're plans to do more. Of course, quite a few, and we're looking at other states and taking them international as well. But they're you know we 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 believed, and it's been working that. You know, one by one, you can change perception. When you have a beautiful environment with an educated staff where people are comfortable, people will change their perception. They'll come in and go, wow, this is cannabis? I had, I had no idea. And then also it sets the bar a lot higher. And and so the our competitors are setting, putting their game up, right? So you have a lot of really other beautiful brands that are doing it in their own version, which is great because that heightens the entire industry. And one of my goals has always been not to be, you know, the best of a bad industry. I want the whole industry to be amazing. I want it to be like the wine industry. There's mm-hmm. never a bad experience. They're just different, right? It's like A plus all across. It's just different subjects, math, English, social studies. <laughs> so can we talk for a second about how, how you plan to build that brand um, outside the state of Oregon when the industry is so siloed um, on a state-by-state basis? How, how are you looking to get that same look, feel, tone um, in other states with different regulate, regulatory parameters? So we're taking a similar approach to any mainstream corporate in, uh, business company out there. So you you look at corporate model and, and franchise. So between the two, if, if there are states that we can't operate or own our own store, you can franchise a store and then you can absolutely direct the, the look, the feel, the touch, all the operating procedures, all the SOPs uh, in the store. And people want that. People coming into the cannabis industry or people that are already in it that want to heighten that game, they want to be able to go with a proven model that people love. I mean, we have proven that consumers love the chalice retail feel, the process, the experience from start to finish. Well, it's familiar to them. They know where to go. They know who to ask. They know that your staff is really well um, educated. So it's it's that familiarity, I think, that's that you guys are so good at. So you're, right. you're trying to be the Ray Kroc of cannabis. <laughs> yeah. You could put it that way. I, I just, yeah. Actually, Nick put it that way. I'm just stealing his line. Yeah, well, and, you know, we did steal some, uh, you know, plays out of the the big brand giants too. I mean, the social sales floor wasn't something we came up with. I mean, you know, Apple and uh, Verizon—they've been doing this. I mean, Verizon refaced all their stores. You know, I want to say globally, because it's no longer me behind a counter with the customer in front of the counter with this delineation line. It's we're hanging out together, right? It's it's an experience together because people are social by nature. So we want to be able to give them that, that environment. Um, and it goes a long ways. I mean, people, uh, I mean, I think if there's a negative, people want to hang out in our stores almost too much. <laughs> it's like you gotta, you, you have other people. I mean, do you have Wi-Fi? Yeah. Well, we're trying to figure out some other things. But it, you know, and I love it. People want to be there. It, it's a, it's a wonderful environment. 
Uh, we can definitely attest to that. Uh, we need to take a quick break, uh, but when we come back, we're going to talk to William about uh, what the difference is between running a private versus a public company. Be right back. More Green Rush coming up after we roll through our sponsors. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the hosts of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put the big celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Himping, that's the point Download and play while you light yourself a joint the business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Banking and Bud, understanding the business of cannabis. Welcome back to The Green Rush, only on CannabisRadio.com. So, William... You were the founder of Chalice, and it was a, a, a pretty big, um, pretty big company. And then you were acquired by Golden Leaf, and then you know you were like the minnow that swallowed the whale uh, from the inside. You are now the the CEO of um, Golden Leaf, which is a public company. What's the the difference been for you from running a private company to running a public company? Boy, that's a that's a big question. Um, <laughs> it's, 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 and I'm not a big guy, so, you know, yeah. I question. <laughs> it's a crazy difference. Um, the private, private world to the public world is, I mean, it's night and day. Um, in a, in a public company, we, we have to do so much around, you know, the reporting and the investor relation, the public relation piece. Uh, it's, it just adds a huge amount to what you were not already doing in your company. Um, you know, it's it, with Chalice, we were able to, you know, work with our investors and have our meetings when we wanted them and just blaze the trail and, and go as fast as we can. In the public world, you're, you are held on some level to how and how fast you can grow by certain rules and what you're doing and the, and the time spent on the public piece of it. Like I, as CEO of a public company, do probably 80% different I guess I, my workload is is eighty percent different than it was being the CEO of a private company. Do you like um, what you're doing as a public company CEO, or would you prefer to be private? Actually, you know what? 
I love it. I mean, so I know, you know, frankly, I I love it. I would rather be private. I mean, I think you're, you're a little more nimble. You're a little quicker. Um, I I know you are not even a little, (laughs) the, the, but then there's, there's pro con on ice either side, right? So the benefits of being public is you have access to the public, the capital markets. So as far as, you know, all the relationships with the, you know, institutions, the banks, um, you know, the, the, the family houses, mm-hmm. so you have access to some of the capital markets. It's still, it's well, right. still a little some, limited. Some. You have the ability to, to grow in a larger level, a lot more effectively in, in a public scenario. Um, it's just, it's a different world. And as a, as an entrepreneur, I mean, it's, it's adding to a skill set. It's getting to learn yep. an entire different world. So it's just different. You know, it's, I can't say which one I like more. If I were, you know, if somebody asked me, should I take my company public? I mean, <laughs> it's hard to give them that answer because it completely depends upon what you're trying to accomplish and how. Well, and you also did it differently. I mean, it's not like you did a traditional IPO. When you list on the OTC, it's it's usually not a straight capital raise. You're backing into an already existing public company and taking over their 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 financial structure. So your experience is slightly different than you know, somebody who, who, who goes and files an S1 and, and does a normal capital raise. Correct. So that wasn't really a question. That was just a statement. Um, but I will ask you a question. Um, you know, if you were going to talk to a public, another cannabis entrepreneur or cannapreneur, what would you tell them about the experience you've had in talking to investors about what you're doing? Not about being public, but what is what is the investor perspective on the cannabis industry? They're extremely excited about the cannabis industry. I mean, there's not a lot of things that you can have the possibility of a giant return right now. I mean, you look at you know all of the you know mutual funds, the tech sector, real estate. I mean, everything is kind of at a high. Um, there, you don't see the possibilities of 10, 20, 30 X where I think, you know, there are a lot of those possibilities in the cannabis industry and people are extremely excited about it. I mean, every investor that I talk to is intrigued, interested, either already invested or, or very interested in being invested. They do have the hesitancy of what we talked about earlier. I mean, Jeff Sessions, that's like one of the first questions in any investor meeting, (laughs) Well, what do you think Jeff Sessions is going to do? You know, but once you get past that part, um, everyone's super excited about the future of cannabis. So we are at the segment uh, of the interview where wh- whoever we're talking to, we put on the spot and ask them really quickly um, in a puff puff pass segment. Tell okay. us the two things that you absolutely love about this industry and the one thing that drives you absolutely nuts. So the things that I love, the fact that we're having a conversation about cannabis and I'm in a business of it and I get to do this legally is amazing to me. I mean, I, it's, I, I forget how lucky we are. I mean, I, I used to wake up and go, you gotta be kidding me. We get to do this as a living, but you get jaded cause you live in it every day and it's just your life. But the fact that we're on a podcast talking about a a, a career in cannabis. I mean, that, that it's is amazing. It, it trips me out every, every single day. I have seen people rally even, I mean, we're talking like huge competitors that it, out in any other industry would never talk to each other are coming together shoulder to shoulder, fighting for the cause, making sure the industry is done the right way, getting best practices. 
Um, I mean, I, I, I feel really lucky to be able to work with, you know, all the captains of the industry and we're, you know, pretty much friends or at least friendly acquaintances. Um, you know, every other There's owner. There's definitely enough room for everybody right now. There, there is. And, but it just, I guess, again, unlike other industries that I've been in, um, they, they really come to call. They, they, they rally around each other and they, they work together. And it's, that's something I absolutely love about it. It, it is really, and, a, and what you hate, you know, I, I hate the politics around it. Um, I, you know, like people like, you know, Jeff Sessions, you know, talking about things that he doesn't understand. And I mean, it's like you, you have people like Sanjay Gupta that have reversed their opinion on this after they've done their own medical research. It's, you know, I mean, I feel like they really need to do a lot of studies before they start making stances on gateway drugs and things like that. I mean, it just makes my skin crawl because they can't I do the studies while it's, while it's, while it's federally illegal. So, well, right. Um, so make it so they can, I mean, that drives me mad when I see, you know, veteran friends and acquaintances of mine that are you know, like dying and killing themselves overdosing on heroin and opioids and things like that. But, you know, they are afraid to go talk to their doctor about using something like cannabis that is not going to kill them. But they're they're afraid because of people like Sessions and you know these other groups that are out there you know opposing and and you see like the big pharmaceutical companies, the largest group that's the most opposition money spent in the in the Arizona race for legalization yep. was the company that owns fentanyl, you know and why I mean of course you know why like yeah. well, let's give people legal heroin let's not hurt our pocketbook because they're going to choose a safer substance. I mean, and, and I got to believe that those people are huge influencers on the pol political front. That's it for us today. Thanks to our guest, William Simpson, the CEO of Golden Leaf Holdings. You can find them online at goldenleafholdings.com, on Twitter at goldenleafhldgs, and they trade on the OTC under the symbol GLDFF. Yeah. Special thanks to Nick Opich for helping us produce this podcast. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter with the handle at GreenRushComs, as well as KCSA-Cannabis.com, or feel free to drop us an email at GreenRush at KCSA.com. Thanks. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.